And I saw two gentlemen, one in an ice jacket and one in a DEA jacket. And I said, yes. And they said, we have a warrant for Stephanie Shepard's arrest. Holy cow. And I said, come on up. This is Lit and Lucid, your after work de-stress smoke sesh podcast. I'm your host, Lit. And I'm your host, Lucid. And we're going to take you on a journey. A journey to discover the truth and find the balance. Every week, we get deep on those thought-provoking topics that ooze out of the cannabis universe. But we also keep it real by illuminating important issues and people in today's culture. So kick back, consume your favorite cannabis products, and get cozy cozy in the the Lit and Lucid lifestyle. Welcome, everybody, to the Lit and Lucid podcast. You know it's Thursday, and we are recording another episode of the show. Today, we're excited to have Stephanie Shepard joining us today. She is the Development Associate with The Last Prisoner Project. The Last Prisoner Project is celebrating their two years of impact with an exclusive collaboration with PAX, where all the proceeds from the limited edition apparel are supporting The Prisoner Project's critical mission to secure the freedom of unjustly incarcerated cannabis prisoners. Stephanie and joining us today to discuss more about The Last Prisoner Project's impact over the years, as well as share her own experience after being incarcerated from a nonviolent cannabis charge. So with that, welcome, Stephanie. We're super excited to have you on the show and to learn more about yourself is more is a little bit more about Last Prisoner Project. Thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, I feel telling my story is important and spreading the mission of Last Prisoner Project is also important. So I'm glad to be here. Likewise. Yeah. And we're stoked to have you. And we know your story, it's difficult. You know, it's going to be difficult for people to listen to. And, and it's one that uh, is shared by a number of people, which, you know, uh, resonates with why LPP is really a thing and why you guys are having to share this miss- mission. Um, but before we get to the story and kind of talk about, uh, you know, all that, let's let's kind of break the ice a bit and talk about maybe some things that, you know, positive things that cannabis has brought to your life and, and maybe some positive ways cannabis has impacted your life. For me, it's, it's kind of interesting. Most people experience cannabis or first consume when they're in their teens or their early, you know, college years. And when I was arrested, my attorney asked me, so when did you start smoking marijuana? And I said, uh, 28, (laughs) I was 28 years old. Uh, the first time I tried it and I was like, this is what I've been missing. I had high anxiety. Um, it just helped me, my mind, it, it seemed to race for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, so once I found my groove and, you know, got into my dosing, I understood that this is a medicine. And it can help people and because because it helped me. Mm-hmm. So that's where I first started saying, OK, this is this is not a bad thing. Um, when I worked in New York, I was working as a real estate agent and people in the office would ask me, um, you know, do you know where I could get some good you know, weed? I felt like what kind of friend would I be <laughs> if I did not tell the truth that I did know, in fact, no. Um, and so that's how I got uh, mixed up in this whole incident. Yeah, that's kind of how it was for me. I mean, I didn't start consuming until I was about out of college. 
And I didn't, I didn't realize I was missing it either. Like I'm like super like OCD and like really like just focused and go, go, go. And once I started consuming, it was just really like, it just like calmed me down, you know, and calmed my mind and just allowed me to like chill out and like really be a better person, you know, like more mindful and aware. And that was the same for me. Like I didn't realize I, what I was missing. And so now that I have it, I'm like, I can't go back. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Totally makes sense. Yeah. And I mean, I've had my, we talked about this a lot in the show of like, I used to be really anti-drugs altogether just because of, you know, my experience with uh, family members having addiction and uh, they even, you know, they've been incarcerated for drug related charges and stuff. And so it really, you know, changed my perception when I was a youth of just like, you know, that stuff just leads to trouble in some way or another. And and, it, and it's not looked at favorably until cannabis came along and, and same with in, in my mid twenties. And I was like, holy shit, like this is, this should not be illegal. What are we doing? You know? And uh, so it's, it followed definitely a, a very similar journey to yours. All right, Stephanie. Well, let's just kind of talk about it a little bit more. You know, your journey through cannabis and being an incarcerated nonviolent offender, you were sentenced to 10 years in prison for your first offense. So tell us more about that. And like, oh my gosh, what happened? Um, long story short, I went to court to help an ex-boyfriend who had gotten arrested for cannabis and he was sick. He uh, wasn't doing well. And his attorney asked me if I would come down and speak to him to uh, just discuss something. So I'm kind of nosy. I'm the ex-girlfriend. Of course I go. And (laughs) I want to know what's going on. I go and he did tell me about his heart condition, which I knew about when when we were a couple. So I agreed to go to court and allow him to stay with me until his sentencing. And this is six months after he was arrested. I go to court. I speak to the judge. The judge says, I find this young lady responsible and credible. And I'm going to recommend he be released into her custody, into, into her custody. That was maybe an hour after I got off the subway. And the attorney was already contacting me saying, they're fighting it. They say you're involved. And that's all it took that week. I was getting dressed to go pick him up and my buzzer rang. I looked at the, the screen and I saw two gentlemen, one in an ice jacket and one in a DEA jacket. And I said, yes. And they said, we have a warrant for Stephanie Shepard's arrest. Holy cow. And I said, come on up. So um, because I tested positive for cannabis at that time, um, I had to do random drug testing weekly. I was on a year's pre-trial before my trial because they were only offering me eight years as a plea. Wow. That's and crazy. my attorney said, normally I would never say go to trial, but in this case, yeah, chance it. And I did. And uh, it didn't work out in my favor. Isn't that crazy? I mean, I mean, how were you feeling during this whole time of like, don't you just feel like you're trapped almost in like a system that doesn't actually listen or hear or want anything to do with facts? They they lump people together, I feel like, instead of individualizing each person and their circumstance and their background. And really, I know we want to keep him in jail, but do we really want to put this person in jail? And the answer is yes, they don't mind. Mm-hmm. Um I did on this year of pretrial, I was still working, trying to just put it out of my mind because I, in my mind, I really thought 
there's no way that I'm going to prison right. for 10 years for, for cannabis. There's I, that's ridiculous. Right. So I had this on my mind while I was on pretrial and a few months into pretrial, I had to renew my real estate license. And I usually just did it online really quick, never paid attention to the questions. And this time I paid attention to the questions. And the first question was, have you been convicted of a felony? And the second one was, do you have a felony pending? And as soon as I clicked yes, now I had no job. Yeah. Because I had lost my license at that point. And this is all under, like Jared said, under just this thing I was hiding because I have a large family. My parents, uh, my dad was 90, 90 at the time, mm-hmm. 91. And I didn't want any of my brothers and sisters to tell them. Yeah. So I pr- made them promise not to tell my parents. So this whole year, I have this lie over my head that I'm holding back from my parents and my sister flies down. Everybody in my family knows my sister hates New York. Uh, She was flying back and forth. And my mom said, what's going on? And, oh, she's just, we're just going to a Broadway show. Mm -hmm. We just, she's, you know, she's coming for fashion week, anything. Um, My sister flew down for my trial. She testified in my trial and I was found guilty. So now I'm remanded from the courtroom. Like I never went home again. And when my sister had to call my parents and tell them, not only was I in trouble for drugs, but I have now been sentenced to 10 years in prison. Yep. Oh my gosh. And that was a heavy weight on me. I felt horrible. I felt horrible for my parents, for my sister. Just, it was, it was tough. Yeah, Yeah. that's awful. I couldn't even like begin to imagine. Like, I just like got the goosebumps when you told me that story. And like, then you, for you, like your family is one thing. And then for you to have to like face that and be like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna like, well, I don't even know, you know, like I'm like at a loss of words really because it's just like so traumatic. Well, that and then like you have a successful career and you're in New York and you have your real estate license. And I just don't I don't really fathom how somebody can't take that into into consideration. And the fact, you know, I'm speaking to you now and like your character seems great. I'm sure, you know, it's not like you've you've done a 180 or anything like that. It just seems like, you know, why couldn't they see that? I mean, eight years, 10 years, like 15, like three years for cannabis is just like, it's ridiculous. And so I think your, your feelings are justified. And I, and I know that had to be tough just to, to keep it away from your parents and then not be able to discuss it. And then to have, you know, such a, a, tor- a, like a terrible ending to the whole thing of like basically getting sentenced to like the max almost for something that is seemingly so inconspicuous and shouldn't even be an issue. You know, I, I just feel bad because it's like, nobody decided to step up and say like, this isn't right at any point. Like this, this doesn't seem wrong to anybody. And what's very strange about it is I'm the person I know in prison. Like I didn't come from a background where I know a bunch of people in prison or anything of the sort. So I didn't have anything to measure what I was really facing by. Yeah. Um, I learned quickly that hearsay is definitely admissible and, in federal court. Um, it's what it's built on cooperating witnesses, Mm -hmm. um, whether they know you or not. 
uh, I just learned so much in that time of about this system. I didn't even, I feel like I, my time, I did nine years. My time was made uh, easier because half that time, I still didn't believe it. Yeah. I still didn't believe that this is not a mistake, that someone is not coming for me, that my dad can't save me, that the, the lawyers can't save me. It took me five years. I was sitting in the chapel listening to church service. Uh, our chaplain was speaking and something he said just hit me that this is my reality. For, for weed and so many days I would wake up and I would look around me in this room full of women in bunk beds. Yep. And I would say this for weed. Yep. I have the same sentence as people with much more serious crimes. Right. Right. And to have the same sentence as them with my background and the life I tried to lead and never thinking that it would be cannabis yeah. that took me down it was it was unbelievable yeah. yeah so that's what i say it was easier for me because every day seemed like my last day because this can't be real and once i woke up and realized this is real i was halfway through my sentence yeah, yeah but i mean how how hard you know like how do you like reconcile that like how what do you do every day to like you know keep going like well, I think that's what, and sorry to kind of interject here, but that's really what people are talking about when they talk about injustice and having to, you know, criminal justice reform is because it's like, you know, the justice system is built to bring justice for crimes. Yet when the justice system is being unjust to people, like who do, who do you go to at that point to be like, you're, what you're doing to people is far worse than anything you're taking off the street and trying to keep from anybody else. Like they took you away from your family, from your job and really look at it as, you know, and that kind of is like our next part about, you know, life after prison of like, they took away 10 years of your life. And then on top of that, you know, you don't just come out and just pick up where you left off. That's just not how things work. So just the injustice of like the fact that they completely derailed your life without any regard for who you are as a person or your actual involvement in it, or just looking at the bigger picture, there's no regard. It's like, we're all treated like we're a rock and, and then that's it. There's no like human interaction to any of this system at all. The reality of it is all they saw sitting in that seat was a black woman mm -hmm. because it's no mystery why black people and brown people are five to 10 times in some places more likely to get serious prison time. Yep. Like this 10 years, they threw at me like it was nothing. Yep. Yeah. And, and watching the trials that are going on in the news right now, I feel so, so upset when I look at the juries because that's what my jury looked like. In New York City, I had one black woman on my jury. That's it. That's not a jury of my peers. Um, so right. watching what's going on right now and just knowing the disparities and knowing that you would not be in the same position as I was in. And through working with LPP, I have gone and, and met with a lot of people in a lot of different places. And there's often such a difference in when white people say, oh, I've been arrested a bunch of times for weed. Mm -hmm. 
I've never did prison time. Yeah. And the black people. Oh, yeah, I definitely I just got out, you know, yep. and it, it's so stark. And when I do bring it up to to certain people and say, well, why do you think that is? Why do you think you didn't do prison time? And their answer usually is I had a good lawyer instead of what a lot of people know to be true, because I have the privilege of of the color of my skin and the law being on my side. I, I totally agree. And that's why it's so important that LPP is here, right? They're they're really trying to fight for all these people where, that have been unjust. And there's, I, what was the stat? I don't even know what it is. How many people are still incarcerated? So that there's so Over much. 40,000. 40, that's crazy. You know what I mean? Like, it's just mind blowing, especially now that cannabis is becoming more legal, you know, all across the U.S. It's just like, how is there not a system where we're like auditing, you know, like how are people not even going back 10, 15, whatever, however many years and like auditing cases and somebody working on that and like looking at charges and being like, OK, that's what the charge should be now. So like, how are we letting people sit in prison for 10, 20 years for like ridiculous shit? Well, just the fact uh- Oh, just the fact also that we have these stats that show that, you know, it's, it's like black and brown individuals are five times more likely to end up, you know, with a harsher sentence or to be arrested in general. And I even saw some stuff, I think last week that was talking about the efforts of like decriminalization and legalization in states. And it it's making an impact in those arrests, but it still wasn't substantially affecting the arrest of black and brown individuals. And so it's like this stuff's still happening. And like, what more do you need to see than to see like actual data that's showing you that like this is happening. There's absolutely a disparity. And so the conversation needs to move past this of like, is this happening? Or is it based on these factors or that factors? Or is it real or not? Like clearly it's, it's real. And like, clearly, you know, we needed to find out what is the root of all this and, and why is this still happening today? And, and I, I think that that's kind of LPP's mission in some sort. Um, but I think that that's where like this conversation needs to be elevated beyond just the fact of like proving that this is a, a factor and saying this is a factor. We know it's a factor. We've seen it be a factor for 30, 40, 50, 60, 120 years now. Um, and like, what are we going to do about it today? And so I think that's really where the conversation's at is like what's being done about it right now to fix this and turn it around. The good thing about LPP First of all, when I was in prison and when I saw the the cannabis business booming outside of these prison walls where I sat yeah. day after day, hobby crafting my life away, um, <clears throat> being glad that me being in there learning how to crochet is in some way of service to the communities. Yeah. So I'm sitting in there and I'm seeing this industry and I didn't know of any place like LPP. I didn't, I was just, I felt thrown away. To be able to now work with LPP and let people know behind those walls, you don't have to feel the way I felt because people are out here trying to make a difference and and trying to make your re-entry easier because re-entry is not easy. It's one thing when you make it through your sentence, but when you get back out in the real world, it's not easy. And you start off with probably some type of probation. On top of my 10 years, I also have five years probation. That's ridiculous. Yeah. I had two weeks to find a job. I got my first job with an ankle monitor on. That's pretty degrading, isn't it? I mean, that's just like completely degrading at this point. It's like you did, I, wasn't I, that enough? 
I cried in the interview. <laughs> yeah. Because this is the first time that I'm actually saying, like, this is my situation. Yeah. And and depending on these people, because this was like the last day of the two weeks I had to find a job. So I could have jeopardized being out if I didn't get this job. And I did get it. And I still had to go for four months with the ankle monitor on it. You know, it's not the size of a Fitbit. It's the size of a garage door opener. Yeah. So already you are stigmatizing me. Yep. Being able to move on from that. Okay, let's say you do move on and get a job that's a living wage and you can actually move and 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 start your life. Leases, apartment leases. When I went to go see my uh get a lease the first time I was I was leaving my sister's home after they were so gracious to let me stay there while I got my feet you know, planted was, um, are you a sex or have you ever been convicted of being a sex offender? The second question, have you ever been convicted of distribution of a control substance? Now I, I, I forgot a job. I've got a living wage. I can pay rent. Now I'm not even good enough for this community, for this apartment complex. So it's just one thing after another. And what LPP does is because we have a number of uh, felons on our staff, they asked us, what do you guys need? What, as someone who knows and someone who's come out of this situation, what can we do? As opposed to telling us what you're going to do. Thank you for asking us and telling us we want to help you with what you need. So um, that was really refreshing, and it's great that now they have the eyesight through our eyes mm-hmm. yeah. and can can provide people with with the support that they need because everyone's support's not the same. Some people desperately need financial support and and so we have grants for that that can you know five thousand dollars may not make or break. The average person's life, but to yeah. someone coming out of prison, it's huge. Yeah. It's huge for your self-esteem to be able to take your mom or dad out for lunch mm-hmm. and pay. That does something for your self-esteem because people with low self-esteem do low self-esteem things. So that really did help. And unfortunately, when I got out, my father had passed away. I was about to ask about that. That's mm-hmm. That's like probably one of the saddest things, in my opinion, of this whole thing. Of And you know what's strange, Jared, is when I first got to prison, I would, uh, we had like these phone booths where you could go in and talk for 15 minutes. Yep. And every once in a while, you, you would hear just somebody scream, like a scream I've never heard before. And I quickly learned that that person has found out about somebody outside who's died. Mm-hmm. And it became like a death scream to me. It just sounded so different from just the regular screaming that goes on in a prison. Yeah. Um, I, I prayed. I don't ever want that. And uh, as time went on, my father, he started getting sick. And I just wanted to get home to see him. And I was unable to do that. 
but I tried. And uh, the day they approved me to travel alone was the day that he died. So I was not able to see him. So at that point, going to the funeral was more for my sister or my family than for me. And when I, when I told my father, when I spoke to him after I'd been sentenced and I, I had to talk to him and I called him and I told him that I had been sentenced to 10 years. And he said, Steph, Steffi, I don't have 10 years. Yeah. And that just, the, the guilt, that's just a huge amount of guilt to carry. Yeah. So a lot of the work I do with LPP, I feel like I know my, my dad would be happy. My dad would be proud. He may not have understood it because he was born in 1919, you know, so he may not have understood this drug charge. And I didn't get a chance to sit down with him and explain it to him. But if he were here, he would be proud of what I'm doing. So it drives me. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Uh, he knows. I mean, where he's at right now, I'm sure he's looking down and he's very proud of you. And I think he knows the truth of all this. And and I'm sure a little bit of that makes it back to you as inspiration to keep pushing and fighting for other people so that they're not in the same situation, because that's horrible. It really is horrible that this this is our reality, that this is even a conversation that Lucy and I even have to have in general and that one that's tied to cannabis and something that, you know, in any normal day, everybody's out here and it's just like a party with cannabis and we're all so proud of it and making money and how can we tax it and how can we make this new product and add all these stupid effing flavors to it all. And and in the meantime, like this is, this is the real reality. There's people behind bars for 10 years over something that somebody's putting in an effing pillow and like just doing ridiculous stuff with it. And like, we're all proud of this. And like, I'm not proud of it. I'm not proud of any of this. And like, this, these are the conversations we should be having every day until something changes. Cause this is our reality. And like, you know, I've had family in prison and I've been to prisons and I've had to visit. And so I know exactly what you're talking about. I feel like a criminal when I go into prisons, just cause that's how they treat you all. They, they shuffle you around and they, they screw with you and they don't care. That's just their job. They don't care, you know? And you feel trapped. I can't even imagine 10 years and what that does to somebody. And, and really it's, you know, we haven't even talked about it, but I'm sure there's a fair amount of anger involved in this too. You're just like upset and there's nowhere really to go to, to, to express that. There's no, there's no justice for Stephanie at this point. You know, what's the justice for you? You lost 10 years of your life plus five years on probation, plus how many years since trying to recoup that, you know, that's something that, you know, I'm glad you talked about you know, coming out of prison, because that's something that's not talked enough about really, or even jail or anything, but the system's totally designed to, to get you to go back. It's totally designed. So you fail probation or, you know, mess up on your parole and, and they can have a reason to arrest you and resentence you and make you finish out your sentence or sentence you to something new that is just a condition of your parole or your probation. And these are things that nobody talks about. I had to see it firsthand. Um, that they don't, they don't really give you any of the tools to become a better person or get your life together, but they certainly give you a bunch of rules, uh, to make sure that you end up right back, uh, where they want you. Um, and it's, it's a sad system. And so I think these are the conversations when people talk about the injustice and criminal justice reform, this is why, this is why right here is because there is absolutely an injustice happening and, and, and we can't just sit around and just keep letting more and more people to like, I'm sure today somebody probably got sentenced to a crime uh, and they're going to go sit in prison and it's unjust. And we have to keep speaking out until it's, it's over with. 
until it's done, until something changes. <clears throat> Just the other day, there was um, some guys, they were trying to start a race war and they were just sentenced to nine years. Huh. That's a year less than, than I got for maybe allegedly, supposedly. Yeah. And it's cannabis. That's so crazy. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. There's people out here that can go straight murder somebody and then not have, like you said, and then not have any repercussions yet. It's, it's cannabis. Like, like I, I'm not taking it lightly when I say people are putting this shit in like pillows and stuff. They are. That's like where we're at today in 2021 is like this stuff's in pillows and like lotions and creams and like whatever. But like people have spent a portion of their life in prison for this stuff. And I, you know, I'm getting upset right now, but it's, just, it's like really upsetting that like, this is the society that like I even live in. It's, it's sad. It's embarrassing. Then it's like, you want to go to the judge really and just like, pop him in the face and be like, what the F were you even thinking? Like, how could you do this? You know, if this was your daughter, I guarantee you'd be a whole different situation. Yeah. Like, how wasn't there like an appeal or like you should have got out like half time? We did, or we like did appeals. We did it. Appeals, really, it's if you hear someone who wins an appeal, it's a big deal mm -hmm. because it's just not the norm. And I, I often now sit and I do, I think, where's my judge? What if I wrote him a letter and just told him, like, how do how did you feel that day? Yep. Because my judge was a black man. Oh wow. And yeah. my attorney was excited about that, you know, mm -hmm. thinking through his eyes, oh, it's gonna be a good thing. And when he told me that, I said it's not gonna be a good thing because to get where he's at, he can't show like he's showing a bit of favoritism. Mm -hmm. He didn't get to be where he is by helping his pe his people, you know? So he's going to go the other way. Whereas if I had have had a, a white judge, he can have said exactly what he felt without fear that it's going to look like, oh, he's just saying that, or he's just going easy on her because. Mm -hmm. And so just the complexities of this system, um, Lucy talked about coming out and, and, and technology. Like I had a Blackberry when I went in and in prison, they're still teaching typing classes and they're still showing people how to fill out a paper application for a job. Now, if that's all I had to go on and I came out like a Michael Thompson, 25 years, like, mm -hmm. you know, pe people with crazy sentences, if that's what I came out expecting and now here, have a computer and here, you're going to fill it out on here and you need to put this link in. When I was coming, I traveled three times alone while I was in prison on commercial air flights. From one prison to another, from another prison to another prison, all alone. And I will tell you, that is the most uncomfortable feeling of being in prison for six years. And they say, now we're going to drop you off the airport and you're going to fly by yourself. I felt like I could not wait to get back to my captors, so to speak, because I felt so normal. I had become so accustomed mm -hmm. to prison. And now here I am out in the world. Everybody's got nice clothes on. I'm in gray sweats. Everybody's got their driver's license. I have my prison ID. When one of the wardens even sent me with a giant picture of my mugshot and a note about, you know, 
that I'm traveling for prison, blah, blah, blah. (sighs) With those things in place and me wanting to go back to prison seemed insane to me. Well, and that's what happens. Like the, the people realize like they, they like life better, you know, in prison because it's so scary and like mind blowing to be out of prison that it's like, I just want to go back. Like, you know what I mean? Like you probably even made friends in there like 10 years. You probably probably created a community and, you know, different types of things. And then it is you, you they just throw you to the wolves, really. And it's like, figure it out. Like, don't you think there should even be some classes maybe like a couple of months before you get out to like show you some things or something? You know what I mean? Like they attempt, they attempt that, but it's it's just performative. They no. don't care. Um, I, I'm I'm very lucky to have been built differently than some people and they will not ever get me back. That a girl. But I knew that walking out. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that there's not a fear of something for me. So I I have to walk around on these eggshells for fear of what I I know to be true. And that's what's that they will send me back, Mm -hmm. but they're not going to get me. So, (laughs) yeah, yeah, that's understandable just because of like you shouldn't have been there in the first place. And so it's like, what are they going to come up with next? You know, and it's just. I, I can totally appreciate that. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about, you know, dive more back into LPP now and kind of forward looking of like, um, you know, what is LPP doing right now uh, to make sure that these things are are fixed and that, you know, we get more of these, you know, nonviolent cannabis offenders out of prison and out of jails. And, and then in the first place, make sure that they don't end up in jails. You know, uh, tell us a little bit more about LPP's mission and and kind of bring us up to speed about what's going on today. That is definitely the key, making sure people don't even go back. So the policy work that our policy team does is really as important as the release and as important as the reentry. Release, we have had really great success with people like Richard DeLisi and Michael Thompson, people who were sh- sh- 25, 30 years for marijuana, life like Corvain Cooper, that to me is is just a sign that this is a throwaway life. And more people need to be angry about lives being thrown away like that. Mm-hmm. 10 years for a 40, 41-year-old woman to go to prison. I didn't have any kids before, but that solidified that I would not have kids ever. And that was never even taken to consideration. Um, But LPP, they focus on release, re-entry, because re-entry is really the key to not going back. If you come out and you have hope, you do things towards that. If you come out and you don't see a way, if you can't get an apartment, if you have no money to even get started, to buy a used car, to get across town, that's a roadblock. So they try to address all of those things. And the policies, we have a lot of things that people can do to get involved. We have take action pages on our website that list the programs. Um, if people have been negatively impacted, 
let's say a grandmother has to take care of her grandkids because her son went to prison for cannabis. Well, that grandmother deserves some help. And LPP will provide that through grants. Um, As far as the policies, there's different bills they're working on. We have petitions on our website that you can go onto the website and sign. One is a Time to Heal program, and it's geared specifically towards President Biden and using his clemency power to because he could he could let everyone out today mm, that's with incredible. just a signature. And I don't understand for the life of me why he doesn't see the benefits to this, mm-hmm. to letting these people out and allowing them to get back on with their lives without this stigma. So LPP really, are, I give so many praises to our policy team because at the end of the day, I feel like that's the secret right there. Yeah, I think you have to. You get, Well, part of this, you know, is we're addressing um, the problems where they stem from is the system. And I think that's what you have to get in there now and like break apart the system and rebuild it and then build it where it's favorable to, to all people. And actually where we factor in compassion and, and the fact that like we're all humans here and like we're people and we have lives and we have families and we have hopes and dreams and we shouldn't just be crushing those over um, some arbitrary rules really um, that people put in place. It reminds me of like, you know, the fact that all the land we live on is just like open land, but people then go put up fences and fence stuff around. And that's how I look at rules is like you have an open land and we just put fences around it. And it really means nothing because you can go around the fence or step over it or the land is still the same on both sides of the fence. And that's just how I look at a lot of these policy decisions and and really the justice system in general. Is it's like we just do all these arbitrary things because it was, it's was it been done for forever. And then whoever made the initial rule, they were completely prejudiced. And we just like keep going off of that for what reason? Like we don't have to do that. And I think that's what people have to understand now is that let's go direct to the source and change the whole system. And let's take it head on. And so I could totally see what you're saying where, you know, the policy work I think is going to have the most lasting impact because we have to change the system. And and it's the system really that is screwing us all. Mm -hmm. But the good thing is there are people in this industry like PAX, many of our partners who care about this and know that they are in the position that they're in because somebody is paying for that. And the people who are paying for that, the least that we can do as people on the outside is is like say thanks. Mm -hmm. And here's how we're going to thank you. And PAX is not only a a strong financial donor, but they have really stepped up. Like I've done um, calls with their their staff and they want to understand and they want to know. What what can we do? And so to have people like them and their executives like Stephen Chung, who you guys had on mm-hmm. last week, I think. Yeah. Yep. Amazing. I, I call him the blueprint for what I want leaders in this industry to look like. Mm-hmm. He's wonderful. Because yeah. he's just an amazing, amazing individual who understands. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's all it takes. And education is so important. So part of my job on the development team is I um, go in, talk to disp- or talk to dispensaries, um, try to institute programs in their shops, in their stores, for their patients, their consumers, like Roll It Up for Justice, where it doesn't cost them anything. 
And do you know, it doesn't cost them anything. We provide all the materials and everything. Um, I often will come in, do a pop-up. They don't have to even talk about it. <laughs> and they don't want to do it. No. Oh, that's weird. And I just don't understand because the donations come from the patient or the consumer. And that's a great thing because everyone I speak to, they want to get involved. Yep. So to allow your consumers and your patients to feel like they're doing something while enjoying this privilege of getting this and taking it back to their house and not being arrested for it. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, and those are like the types of people that shouldn't be in the industry. All these people saying no, it's like these are the people that shouldn't even be around. And I think it's important. I'm glad, you know, Last Prisoner Project is pushing it as well as PAX collaborating with you guys because those are the types of brands that we need in this industry. If it's going to be a successful industry, these are the people that we need to be supporting. And as consumers, even it's on our backs to be educated and understand what these brands stand for. When you go into the dispensary, you need to understand why you're purchasing a brand and what's the, what, what's going on behind the scenes. And if you're not doing that, that's on you. Like that's on us too as consumers. Like we need to be better. And like, I love that PAX, you know, they just, you know, supported the veterans and they're also supporting Last Prisoner Project with their collective lab and that's just like a small thing like I feel stupid I'm like you know I can go buy this tote and it's $25 and you know support this mission it's like that's such a small thing like I need to be doing so much more but it's a good start right so if us as consumers can you know get online and purchase you know the tote and the really cool bucket hat like in collaboration you know offering all the proceeds to last prisoner projects that's one small thing we can do as well as you know become more educated on these dispensaries that are supporting your guys's missions proceeds of what you purchase is going towards that that's what we need to do that's the least we can do and i appreciate everyone who does that um i just i like i said i don't understand why you wouldn't want to and there's uh different programs we are having a holiday letter writing program that you know i'm offering people you know you can just offer it to your staff you guys can write letters to prisoners and just let them know like the holidays are a hard time yeah and yeah. and to get a, a piece of mail from somebody who is doing this to help you when they don't have to, that just me that I don't think people understand that gives people outside of those walls hope so yeah. much. Yeah. That's incredible. I want to do that. You yeah. Do that. You got, yeah. I'll send you guys some postcards. I designed the postcards oh. with a skill I learned in prison called quilling. Oh, how cool is oh. that? That that's, is so cool. That's kind of what I wanted to end with because I saw, you know, that like some of your self-care was, you know, writing and like that's what I was kind of curious about. You know, like what did you learn like for fun, I guess, to like really just get you through this whole thing? Um, I taught ESL for the majority of my time. Oh, wow. Um I taught, yeah. And people always say, Oh, you speak Spanish. And I'm like, I had people from everywhere in my classes. They're learning English. I'm not learning their individual languages. Yeah. Um, so really, for me, I refuse to work for 12 cents an hour for the government doing anything other than something that made me feel good. Yeah. And teaching English made me feel good and teaching classes. And uh, I, I lightweight learned crochet um, quill, draw, like I took over, I don't even know how many classes because that's all that we had to do. Yeah. So if Americans want to pay 
So I can sit in there and learn hobby crafts and ceramics. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Forty thousand dollars, you know, per person per year in prisons. And that's coming for that could be going towards something so much more important. But if having me incarcerated made everything safer, because I'm scary. That's crazy. <laughs> I'm a threat. <laughs> Uh, then so be it. But I don't think most Americans would feel that way if they really knew that that was the case. But it's yeah. a business and it, who doesn't like repeat business. So, yeah, I'd rather have you as a neighbor. That's for sure. Invite <laughs> you over you. for dinner. And yeah, we could hang out. I mean, that's like that's how we should all be looking at this is like these are our neighbors. And uh, we should we should definitely, you know, do more each individually too to, to speak out about it, do our part. Uh, shop the brands that support these missions and really have the big picture in mind because, um, you know, I've made a couple of comments here about cannabis and, and kind of ingest and uh, I mean it, you know, we, I, I see everybody on social and like we treat it like it's a holiday half the time and like we shouldn't be treating this stuff like it's a holiday until uh, we do have something to celebrate about. And I think we won't be able to celebrate until people aren't being arrested for cannabis anymore, honestly. And um, that's, you know, my opinion, but I think that's, that's the reality, you know, welcome to reality. Well, through things like what you guys are doing, I love your podcast. So I was super excited to hear that uh, I would be able to come on with you guys. So, <laughs> well, you, you are amazing. Thank you so much for sharing your story. It's really important. And thank you for sharing it with us. Like, I really appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you guys. Keep fighting for us. <laughs> okay, Stephanie, yeah. one more question. <laughs> we are the Lit and Lucid podcast. So are you lit or are you lucid? Unfortunately, I am lucid <laughs> and, on, and on probation. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are a sharp lady. I can tell you that. You, you know, you, you've definitely, uh, you've got, you've got a, a great future for you, in my opinion. And please, you know, keep pushing forward. We love what you're doing. And uh, we really appreciate you sharing your story today. I, I know it's not easy for you. And, um, but I know that it's going to have a lasting impact on our listeners and, and really kind of give people an inside look at, at why a change needs to be made and why this stuff is such an important issue today. So thank you again for everything. And, you know, I, I'm really sorry for everything you had to go through. Uh, it, it's, that's a huge injustice. Thank you guys for having me anytime. Mm-hmm. All right, you guys with that, I'm lit. I'm lucid. And that's it. Laters. Mm-hmm.